Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another week and another episode of the USL show. Um, it is wonderful to be back. We have teams that are streaking together wins. We have teams that are streaking together losses, and we have fans that are just streaking. And it has just been another beautiful week here in the USL. Um, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Ryan, man, how you doing? I'm doing well wearing my uh, Scotland kit again after their very big win over Spain as the greatest midfielder in the world, Scott McTominay, got a brace. So doing okay? I mean, Spain did. Spain looked awful. <laughs> they looked so bad. <laughs> I could say it's Scotland's greatest ever result since they beat England nil-nil at Wembley at the Euros last time. I mean... And what was what was the headline that uh, it was the U.S. beat Mexico two two? Was that the headline years ago? Ah, whatever. Um, Alan, how you doing? Good. Um, I just like to shout out Joe Lowry. He mentioned a Chrome extension on a podcast once about how he watches soccer, and so I have consumed uh, three soccer games in the in the amount of about three hours watching them at one point five speed. Uh, if, if you've never like it's the new way of watching soccer uh so then when i went back over to the tulsa pittsburgh game i'm like this game is so slow but i just realized i just remember that i was watching games at 1.5 and i think the end of the orange county game i was up to 1.75 just to like <laughs> check out the end so uh if you ever want to watch a speed game uh there you go i mean it's just telling us that Tulsa and Pittsburgh just have worse athletes, to be honest. Like, just be faster, people. Come on. Phil, how you doing? I'm I'm doing great. Uh, all is forgiven. You know, one win in Louisville, and, and we're back on top of the world. Um, so, yeah. No, it, we're, we're riding this crazy wave that is USL Championship, uh, and I'm excited to talk about it. And you can <laughs> – all right. <laughs> I'm assuming that was Ryan, but it could be Alan. I don't know which one. Ah, that's Alan. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> and finally, John, how you doing, man? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it behind the scenes, but got some nice Wi-Fi lag, so I'm off the video today, but ready and uh, fired up with the hot takes as we need them. I mean, that's what we do here. I mean, that's kind of what we are. We're a hot take show with, um, what was it? Uh, hot takes, no research, lots of uh, dead dead air and typing in the background. If that's not the USL show, I don't know what is. And before somebody tweets at me saying that we're subtweeting you, yes, you are, and you're outing yourself as a loyal listener. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and hop into the match matches that were we have a lot of fun ones but just like we've been doing all year long we're going to jump straight into this week's usl tactic show hello and welcome into the usl tactic show where today i want to talk about how fc tulsa adjusted their approach and build to really take advantage of loudon's weaknesses and earn a nice three nothing victory and a lot of that success depended on ruji at left back he would often come narrow into the central midfield thus allowing Marcus Epps or Milo Yosef to come short on the wing. Loudon adjusted by moving their right back and their right center back closer to the touchline to track that runner, and it opened space in behind for Tulsa. 
And you're gonna see an example of that here. Epps is getting the wide touch, he's sparking play, and both Loudon CBs have to come to the same half of the field to stop that play from developing into something really dangerous. Just another clarifying example here, Rucci is receiving the ball in the middle of the pitch. That's their left back ostensibly, who's receiving in an area you'd think about for a central midfielder. And his heat map, his touch map, really bears that out. He got some of those traditional touches you'd expect closer to the sideline, but what he did in the center of the field was crucial. Here you're seeing more of that almost back three-ish action, and it's opening up Milo Yosef, who had um, come over to that flank, swapping with Marcus Epps, and then Rodrigo da Costa gets the touch. It's an incompletion, but it's dangerous. This is the best example of the entire match. Epps is there, deeper down, causing Coa Santos to come up from right back. Uh, Learman does not get that touch, and then Blaine Ferry is in behind, where his nasty footwork is gonna lead to a goal but it's because of the space afforded by that shape change. Now, late in the game, Tulsa went a bit more pragmatic. Rucci took up the position you're seeing there as a proper left back. They had a proper winger and more of a 4-4-2, and they went direct. Blair Gavin knew when to revert to a more normal setup to assure that his team would hold on to a win, and that's why this was such a promising game for FC Tulsa. And now that we've all been enlightened and given all that wonderful information about Tulsa, who is currently drawing one or nil nil, which is should they should be down one nil for being brutally honest here. Um, I'm just going to cut straight over to you, John. This three nil win, I think we all knew that Loudon was not going to be winning forever. No team does, but I don't think any of us were truly expecting a three nil thrashing at the hands of FC Tulsa, FC Tulsa with a good attack and a shaky defense, but keeping a clean sheet against a Loudon team. Who's looked pretty good offensively. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on it. Loudon really in all of their games so far has come out strong for the first half hour. Or so shown a lot in terms of their offense and then cooled off for whatever reason. I think a lot of it is that they play a pretty aggressive pressing system. You see them interchanging a lot. So it tires you out. Uh, I think Tulsa has gone through some injuries. Their back line has been pretty slapdash across the course of the season so far. They're coming out with innovations in how they're lining up uh, with the ball every week. And it's ending up with pretty good results. I think they had good sequences against Birmingham the week before. So I'm interested to see how they end up doing, but I just like the innovation, how they're maximizing the talent that they have. I mean, Ryan, you are might be the biggest Loudon fan in the world, um, as long as the Hammerheads are not around. Um, I guess, is there anything there for Loudon fans to be like, listen, that was a one-off game, we can bounce back. Is there anything for them to be just be able to hold on to going into this next week i mean i guess if you look back at some of their stuff they still outshot uh tulsa 15 12 and 4 3 in shots on target so there was still at least offensive production there and then it just it seemed like once they kind of conceived that goal the wheels kind of fell off from there i mean this was um fc tulsa this would have been their best result from last season and the last time they had a goal margin this large in a game you had to go back to the tail end of the 2021 season so you could very much just kind of chop this up as a just kind of one-off moment and just kind of move on to the next game for next week cool anybody 
I think it's, show. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that Tulsa are uh, joint top in terms of goals scored this season, but have scored six from just 11 shots on target. Um, so the conversion rate is awfully high. I don't think 40% is going to be uh, sustainable or sorry, greater than 50% is going to be sustainable um over the course of the season so with that being said i do think like we're probably due for a regression to the mean that may be wishful thinking from a locomotive fan whose team plays in tulsa on friday um but at the same time i mean in this game three three shots on target three goals um and that sort of rate of return probably not something that tulsa can lean on all season that being said i think like as john pointed out at the beginning like that Epps Rucci sort of left side for Tulsa is um, yeah, it's been fruitful so far. And I think they're going to continue to try to exploit that. Um, and they, they certainly did against Loudon. I mean, they're they're They are down to exactly 50% with the one shot on target today and no goal. And I'm sure <laughs> Tulsa fans are taking to the internet screaming at the, the lack of uh, scoring prowess in this game with their one shot on target. But um yeah, it's it's all early season, right? It's early doors, as they say. You're going to get these kind of peaks and valleys, these overreactions, underreactions. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Tulsa can sustain over the course of the early season. It is absolutely insane that they've had 74% of the ball in the first half tonight and only four shots. That's really wild. Pittsburgh's press looks so insanely good right now. I can't believe it. So something that with Pittsburgh, and I know this is not really on the on the tablet to talk, but since the match is currently happening, you know, I feel like it's fair game. Something Pittsburgh has been doing, and I've been really impressed by, I, I don't mean to say this because, you know, soccer age is not the same thing as real life age, right? Because if you're 30 in soccer, you're over the hill and might as well retire tomorrow. But if you're 30 in any other facet of life, it's like, hey, congratulations, you're 30. You still have like 70 more years to live. Um, and so it's like, it, it's a weird thing, right? But they have older players as their three center backs. And I've noticed with Bob Lilly, he is dropping their back line really far, just basically saying forget about the offside trap. We don't care about the offside trap because they would rather concede the offside trap, slow down any attacker, and just kind of allow the rest of their defensive midfield to come back and snuff out any chance and then just immediately go on the attack. Most teams, I mean, I understand that playing a low line is a thing, but I've never seen a team, or at least not that I can remember, do it so aggressively and so effectively. Yeah, they sit deep, but they're so aggressive whenever the ball gets into those areas. It's a really potent combination right now. They, I mean, they're hardly giving up a goal at this point, and I, I will own the fact that I was dead wrong about them in the preseason. We still have time. I mean, yeah. again, it is still early, and this is not me just trying to be like, my prediction wasn't wrong. You'll see. You'll see. But, I mean... It is still early. These are still fresh legs. I understand that holding a high line is going to save the legs a little bit, but as aggressive as they are on the attack, you know, if one of those guys goes down up top with that press, how long can that press sustain itself? I think really our concern wasn't with necessarily Bob Lilly, but the roster and depth of the roster itself. I know he can make college kids into USL all-stars, but eventually – 
when you get to the bottom of your roster, it will just be that the bottom of your roster. Well, not, I mean, not to belabor it, but the attacking line tonight is two ro- two rookies from college and a kid who couldn't crack the lineup in Tucson last season, and they look elite. It, it, Bob mm-hmm. Lilly, magic. Yeah, he does get the respect of Bob tonight. Um, moving on, I want to go ahead and go down to League One, and. This is probably the most exciting match that we have seen in League One so far. I know Lexington won Knox, you know, was fun for, you know, we were about five minutes from getting full CONCACAF studs to the chest. But, I mean, this, when it comes to just individual brilliance and everything else along the way, Ford Madison versus Union Omaha was one of the most entertaining matches that we have seen this USL um season and we kind of talked about super early highs of highs i get it but i i'm i'm going to throw out the overreaction i wish i would have thought about it whenever walking 90 sent out their google doc rashida knew might be league mvp and it might not be close it's ridiculous how good he is yeah and i mean there's a case to be made well it's not even a case to be made if if he's not in that for Omaha in this one, it could have gotten pretty ugly. Honestly, Madison played really well and created some really good chances. I was particularly impressed. And again, my homerism is going to show, but Derek Gebhard looks like renewed uh, for Ford Madison out on the wing um, as a creative force, rather than as like a primary goal scorer. Um, I think like it, it kind of accentuates the best uh, attributes of him. He gets an assist uh, in this one. And, uh, almost set up a couple of others. I will, however, have to, on the negative side for Derek, have to start a discourse about the haircut. Um, <laughs> it's uh, He's got something going on. Um, it's sort of a top, I don't know, it's like a top ponytail, but it's, I don't know. Anyways, like, you do you. If that's what the secret to is, you know, success, good on him. But, yeah, I thought Madison were really good in this and probably deserved to win, but Rashid Nuhu is, was just unbelievable. A um, couple of really top-notch saves and, um, yeah, kept kept Omaha from, from giving away their home opener. The thing that was kind of concerning for Omaha at the beginning of the match was how much space they were giving Madison just to, like, bomb crosses into the box. It felt like they were sitting... They're sitting deep, like they would try to press, and they did a pretty decent job of uh, kind of maybe counter pressing at the top. But then they would sit really far back, and then just let Ford Madison just cross in, cross in, cross in. Uh, and they got better at it toward the end of the game, where they started to step out more and made it more difficult for Ford Madison. Uh, but it was really kind of wild to see how far back and how much respect they were giving Ford Madison early in that game, especially at home. Um, and I do think I don't disagree. Like there were several chances uh, where Ford Madison had two really, really nice looks at goal and who comes big. And it's really kind of unfortunate for him that the goal that does go in is kind of this like bouncy ball fluke near post thing that, you know, he makes all these partic- spectacular saves and that's the one that gets by you. It's got to be frustrating, uh, but it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting road for Omaha where if you can rely on that goalkeeper you're going to steal some points along the way um, very much I think in the vein of, of Detroit last year where you have a phenomenal goalkeeper who can steal you a match if he's stopping everything you're going to get a guaranteed point uh, and you might be able to steal some some victories um, along the way 
Yeah, I mean, Omaha had nine clean sheets last season, and that was very much part of the reasons why we still kept them in the postseason for most of the year. At, and even though we weren't talking about them, it was just that they still managed to pick up those results uh, kind of just week after week. There was that period in the middle of the year where they had that very long unbeaten run, and it's looking like they could have that kind of same similar form this season. Yeah, I mean, if you... I, I get it. Not everybody believes in XG. You know, everything everything's um, the whole, like, XG and hand grenades, right? Um, but just to kind of talk about what he did, if you believe in XG and you're a person that believes in those underlying stats, I mean, Ford Madison had an XG of 1.77. That's gross how good I mean, you look at it and say well he, they had the five shots on target the one sneaks in but i mean i get it the bicycle goal or the bicycle shot by cheney at the very end that's a heck of a save near post that he kind of makes up for the near post going underneath them and then he has the one that's uh the immediate header that goes basically straight to him but the very in the first half there's the shot that goes to his right that he manages to barely push onto the post. I don't know if that save is going to get the love from the USL League One whenever they pick save of the week, but that was the best save of the bunch, and it's not really close. It he was just big in all the right moments, as a as opposed to the other hand where Shipman Shipman okay. First off, Ford Madison makes amazing kits. We we can agree. Ford Madison makes good kits. Why they make their goalkeeper kit skin color. So when I turn on my TV, I have my cousins ask me why the goalkeeper is naked. I, what am I supposed to do? But sort it out, Madison, sort it out. Um, but the goal that he lets in, I mean, the header from the corner is what it is. You know, it's a, it's a point blank header. That is what it is. But you even saw when the ball deflected off his hands out for the corner that he should have held on to that ball. He knows he should have held on to that ball. He knows he could have held on to that ball. And for him to immediately concede from the corner that he believes should never have been a quarter because he held on to it or should have held on to it, I think that's going to eat at him a little bit more than knew who's, um, you know, near post Howard because bouncing ball versus I should have held on to the ball just feels different. Anybody else want to um, hop in? Oh, one thing that I thought was interesting um, with the final guys. Tell me, uh, Phil, because obviously El Paso connection here, right? But Omaha was really fluid in the way they played, but they mostly stayed within this four 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 or four four two kind of thing. But then, whenever at the very beginning, when they were really looking at their best, it was like this four one three two. Is is that kind of is that a nice continuation from what he knows from El Paso? And is this something that Omaha fans can maybe look at old El Paso tape and say, yes, he is pulling strongly on his El Paso times? I think I I don't know. I don't know that it uh like lines up perfectly with anything we saw from Hutchinson last year, uh, in terms of like, yeah, how he um how he would have like interacted i do think i do think the one thing that is unique to him is that he clearly does have that like 
adaptability throughout the game where he's like Dom is looking at like how things are playing out in front of him and he isn't like afraid to make uh, adjustments whereas like I would have said last year El Paso were pretty inflexible tactically um, in terms of like, hey, this is what we do. And if it works, it works. And if it's not working, it's because someone's doing something wrong. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think now they're in more so maybe uh, he he definitely feels like he has more of a uh, analytical look and and is willing to to change things when they're not going well or if he feels he's not they're not playing that well. Gotcha. Um, well, let's go ahead, stay in your neck of the woods, and let's fly out to Louisville City, where they had the biggest ever home opener crowd with over 10,000 people, and they all leave depressed, um, where El Paso comes in and shocks everyone, including El Paso fans, um, with a 3-0 win. Um you can ask El Paso fans, and I think some would say, yeah, we could keep a clean sheet. I like our defense. And some might say, we're really good at scoring. We have good offensive pieces. But I don't think those two people exist in, in the same space. And then El Paso does the dang thing and does both. Um, it, I'm just going to go ahead and keep it with you, Phil. What happened, man? Uh, couple couple of things. Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, El Paso – and and Brian Clairhout, I think, approached this one pretty pragmatically um, in terms of like they weren't trying to go in there and play Louisville off the park. They weren't going in trying to uh, do anything like super flashy. They they set up on a like on a bed of just solid defense first and then like let the rest follow. I think everybody watching that match from an El Paso point of view would have been like, okay, get out of the first 10 minutes and then let's just like see what happens because they've conceded early the last two games before this. Um, and when they got out of the first half hour without conceding, it felt like, okay, this is something that you can really build on. From there, they really did exploit um, the, the few weaknesses that Louisville did have in terms of like the absences from the, the first team. Um and they were able to exploit a little bit of space. Like they they got a little bit of a warning shot in on Louisville when Navarro cut in um, and unleashed that kind of like whipping shot that changed direction in the wind uh, and then occupied that same exact space once they found out that it was there, um, which leads to the first goal. Um, all that being said, I think like each of the goals you can look at as half i don't know if it's even half you can look at it as part um you know lucidity error and part el paso taking advantage of of a weakness and so um i did want to specifically call out the play of benny diaz in goal for uh locomotive because he gets an assist on the second goal for ricardo zacharias um long ball over the top gets carried by the wind uh, and Ramsey Kawasmi, the, the, who was the debutante for Louisville in central defense, totally misjudges it. Um, Zacharias though, underrated technician in terms of like striking a ball cleanly on the bounce. Um, uh, Zacharias is uh, yeah. One of the best at like striking the ball first time. I think um, when he has more time to think about it, he has more time to screw it up. When he just does it instinctively, it seems like he always catches it clean. So um, anyways, all that being said, I think it's a little bit of a mixture of Louisville being really 
they struggled with the players um, that had to like come into the side. And I think El Paso like really approached the game from a, uh, from a standpoint of uh, yeah, doing, doing the simple things well and not looking to overplay. Um, and then at the end of the day, they were super, they were ruthless in front of Louisville's goal and they didn't let them off the hook for any of their mistakes. So um, yeah, in the end, they limit, uh, Cameron Lancaster to two shots, which is also a big, uh, like I think feather in the cap for, for Claire Houghton company and just kind of declawing, um, Louisville's attack a little bit, but yeah, that's kind of my, <laughs> as quick as I can talk about, uh, a game that obviously, um, was amazing. And I'm really glad that locomotive were able to come away from Louisville with the three points. Okay. Listen to seriously. Loka. <laughs> <laughs> um i i've put this uh or you know this was put on the usl show twitter account um colin elder uh made his uh debut um out of the academy which is super cool you know high school kid uh gets to make his debut and then goes and has his senior prom that night and then he said that his date to senior prom didn't even show up to the match i'm sorry that is a major red flag and call it off there. I don't know what to tell you, Colin. I I live your life. Maybe she's not into soccer, but bro, you're in the 18 and it's your senior prom and your date doesn't show up. You came on as a striker. <laughs> Come on. That's messed up. That's messed up. <laughs> um, This was a really interesting match uh, to me. I... This is one of those matches that I think if you look at the raw numbers, you say, well, El Paso or Louisville City still should have dominated this match, right? But I I said this before, and John, Ryan, everyone, Alan, whomever, please slap me down if I'm being ridiculous here. But, like, Wilson Harris is just so much better than Cameron Lancaster, and yeah, Lancaster has lost a step. You're right about this. I feel bad saying that because he is he's USL royalty, but he, this he's just not as good as he once was. Would any team in the USL take him still? Yeah, but I would rather him be coming on the 75th, not playing until the 70 or all 90 minutes. It's just it was sad to watch. They went to this like weird 4 1 4 1 for a while because they're just trying to make the best of it. And then at the very end of the match when they were just trying to go for it and I guess just not be super embarrassing, like they went to the 3-5-2 and like they had Dia playing as a left center back. They had a Mogel or Mogul. I can never pronounce it right because I'm bad at words. Um, he was sitting there as basically their CDM all day long and then they just dropped him down as the third center back. And it was just weird. It was a weird lineup. And I think you could just say everybody was hurt. Everybody was awful. And, you know, it, it is what it is. But it was just a weird match to watch from the Louisville City perspective. And this isn't a Louisville team that you're ever used to seeing them just so, like, not in a game. I mean, if you're looking through their historical results, you have to go back to July 2019 to find the last time they lost a game 3-0. And this was their worst ever defeat in this building. It's just, it's not something you're very characteristic at seeing. And it was a 4-1 to defeat against Toronto FC, too. And 
September 2018 was the last time they lost a home match by three goals. Any final thoughts for this Louisville match? I guess I mean the breaks real quick because go ahead, John. they were missing eight players who would be starters on like 90% of teams in the league. So like, I'm not overly concerned, but you just credit to everything Phil was saying about perfect approach for locomotive here. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and move on to sneaky. One of the better matches and more of the more confusing matches um, of the weekend, which was the two, two draw between orange County and Las Vegas and two, two doesn't really do it justice. I, it, <laughs> it was a weird one. And if you watched it, by God, did you, did you watch it? You had a grand old time with whatever this match was. El- Las Vegas looked good for a while. And then Orange County kind of woke up. And then both teams just kind of said, two, two's nice. Yeah. I mean, lights came out of the gate. With this 4-4-2, they finally had Kubo Torres and Pato Botello starting up top. And it was one of the best defensive performances I've seen all year in the USL for at least one half. I mean, they didn't allow a shot through 45 minutes. Andrew Carlton was putting in a shift as this like box-to-box midfielder. You kind of couldn't believe what you were seeing. Uh, Orange County was sort of playing into their hands. They have been a much more possessive team this year. They focused on letting Andrew Fox and Marcus Nakeem kind of drive play from the center back spots. And that was not working against how compact this team was. So I think going a little bit more direct in the second half, just letting Milan Oloski feast on those second balls ended up paying off nicely. Uh, he had a really lovely bicycle kick assist and then scored one on his own to w- uh, get that draw in the end. But yeah, really fun game. and. I mean, credit to you, Kaler, for knowing that Vegas was going to be more competitive than any of us figured. I've said it. I never doubted. I there was never <laughs> once in my in this entire time that I doubted that they would be incredible. Yeah, Orange County only looked good for about ten minutes of this match. Uh, and when you said Orange County woke up, it's it's more like Milan Olaski woke up. Like uh, John mentioned, the bicycle kick assist. Uh, and that goal that he scores for the second goal is like a Milan Oloski, like he should just trademark that goal. Like he scores that goal so often and you know it's coming and you still can't stop it, which it makes it even more frustrating for uh, visiting fans. Uh, the first half from Orange County just looked, they did not look good. Um, you know, they're trying to build out of the back, but they turn the ball over uh, and not even necessarily, uh, oh, uh, not necessarily, um, a uh, because they're giving the ball away to like a crazy press. It's just that Vegas knew how to uh, plug up the holes where the, the in the middle of the park, um, and that makes Vegas a dangerous team, right? Like this was a team that you could roll over. This is a team that you could push around last year, and I just don't think that that's going to be the case this year. Um, and it's going to make the West even more competitive because everyone, I think, was kind of counting on Vegas to be kind of one of the the whipping boys of the West that you can get, you know, you can rotate some guys in and out. Um, I also want to shout out Villanueva. I thought he had a really nice match, both offensively and defensively. He scores the goal on the Milanoloski assist, uh, but he had some really nice plays to break up um, some of Vegas's attacks. So he, he was a really fun player to watch, and I thought... 
up until Malawski scores his second goal, I thought, you know, Villanueva was like the best player Orange County had on the pitch. Um, you would like to see Orange County play a little bit better, but this felt very much like um, the Orange County that um, just wasn't offensively threatening and then um, got caught out from time to time. It was, um, you know, one of the drawbacks of Orange County when they won was it just wasn't that exciting to watch and we're starting to see that again and i think that's just kind of their identity um but the difference was in the past is they weren't giving up two right they get it only let up one you're winning this game because Lasky puts the team on his back and that's what makes orange county dangerous for the rest of the season is if they can solidify the back line milan Lasky can put this team on his back and run with it yeah, and this uh, lights team. I mean, we mentioned John. I think you were the one that mentioned that four four two, that they were just kind of plugging up holes and just doing the dang thing. That's the same thing they went to with RGV. Um, after RGV scored their goal, um, and I think in like the forty eighth minute or ish, and last week. I mean, Las Vegas went straight to that 4-4-2, and RGV didn't really look like doing much. And I guess you could sit there and say, well, RGV kind of does that. They just kind of get their goal and and are kind of cool with the draw. That just seems to be their MO half the time. But RGV was going for it, and that back line looked kind of sneaky good with the 4-4-2. It, this is a team that might just be better at defending than we thought they would be. Their attack is, well, it doesn't have Danny Trejo or Cal Jennings. Um, that usually doesn't help things, but their back line is a lot more shored up than I think a lot of us thought it would be. Um, I think what's going to be interesting for uh, Las Vegas is that they, they still have uh, four more uh, road matches to go before they have their home opener in May. And it's Indy, Memphis, Miami, and San Antonio in that time. So there should be at least... Uh, one game in there that is going to kind of uh, they may slip up on, but yeah, I mean, two draws from their opening two games is not anything to turn your nose up at. And the West, I think, to Alan's point, I think it does underline the fact that the West is extremely serious this year, like top to bottom. Like, once again, I thought it was pretty strong last year, even. Um, but I think it's gotten it's gotten even stronger. Um, so yeah, from a parody perspective, I think we're in for a fun season. Which we said that about the East too. I, who would have guessed getting rid of bad teams makes league better? That's a weird concept. I something never... something promotion relegate. No, I'm just, I'm just uh, hey, <laughs> my Twitter has, my Twitter has been a mess all day today. I didn't think that the fake verified guy would find it. Okay. <laughs> Um, let's move on. Speaking of someone that would have been uh, promoted last year, Tormenta. Um, it kind of fell apart, but it's a little bit misleading. Um, when you lose your best defender on the team and then immediately get a red card afterwards, it usually does not spell good things for your chances, especially against a Charlotte team that is in the conversation right there with their in-state rivals of North Carolina FC of having the best attack in the USL League One. Um, and it all kind of culminated together and giving you a kind of a disgusting 3-1 win for Charlotte. But that free kick goal for a Kale was disgustingly good. 
I uh this this game you, it almost felt like at 3-1 you're thinking like oh this is kind of the regression from Tormenta just eking out that win over North Carolina and not really deserving it like that deeply and maybe maybe they just gave up some of the goals that you thought they should have conceded in North Carolina not really the case like they, it it was a much better performance overall from Tormenta as you mentioned Kaylor I think uh yeah the red card I mean I don't know if like I want to get too deep into it. I thought if you're giving, I don't know that that's a second yellow for me, um, but I, I know you're playing with fire whenever you delay the game in any way. So um, yeah, a little bit of a soft one for me, but overall, overall, I think like Charlotte are going to make teams pay in that sort of situation. I do think torment is a little unlucky in the way that it plays out. I, I also think that Pablo Hara, like for whatever reason, like, I feel like he completely lost his head like after after the uh the red card and both of the both of the goals not that they're like his fault but he's just kind of like everywhere like after on on both of Charlotte's uh you know second and third goals so anyways the whole the whole thing like the way it played out was very strange cuz it was nicely poised at 1-1 and then the red card obviously completely changed things yeah, I mean, talk about the red card, but Dengler off after 15 minutes. This is still a team with some changes compared to last year. This was going to be a tough matchup. And, I mean, Kaylor, we've not named the fact yet that it was Dane Kelly who's added to this team. Like, just the greatest scorer in the history of the USL, nothing much. So, I think, yeah, Charlotte is a team that returned a lot of the key pieces from last year, added some really good players. Brad Dunwell got in the score sheet and really was the best defensive midfielder in this side. Uh, a lot to look forward to for the independence. I just want to throw this out there because, you know, whenever I'm, because I want to look at fought mobs every now and then, because most of the time their, their score, like their culmination of scores on there are not always great. I don't always agree with them. It doesn't account for off the ball stuff. It doesn't account for, you know, their algorithm is their algorithm. What For what they are, it's great but don't take some of these scores into accountability. I, I feel like I was watching a much different game than I guess Fought Mob was tracking because Akoto, the the right back, they have him on a 4.9. I don't think he played that badly. If, did I miss something? Because I didn't think it was that bad. I, I understand it wasn't a great tournament of performance, but for them to essentially blame the loss on him, like to have a lower rating than the guy who got sent off in less than like 20 minutes is insane to me. I, yeah, I <laughs> I don't yeah. I I think I mean it probably has to do with like the the goals and like where his you know whether they like accredit him with any like errors leading to the goals um I don't know if that's uh cuz typically if you're below 5 like you're in that territory for being basically directly blamed for a concession of a goal yeah i i don't know any final thoughts for this one no okay let's go ahead and go to where the indomitable are truly that just indomitable sacramento refused to lose at home and they snuff out a pretty weird win over 
San Diego, they had a moment where the ball goes into the back of the net and, you know, they just kind of decide we're done attacking. Now you will not score. And that's the Sacramento experience, baby. I, I think the, the takeaway from this too, is it shows how the Adam can Adams contingent of San Diego is super important to how they play. Right. Kyle and Charlie are both out this match, uh, which takes away both the defensive, uh, like a defense key defensive player, but also like the guy who takes all your set pieces. Um, and loyal had quite a few set pieces that they just didn't take any advantage of uh, chip your cap to Sacramento. They made it like nearly impossible to make break down the, the end of the game. Like it was just, they sat back and it felt like they had 20 guys on that pitch and loyal had like no uh, great, opportunity to get an equalizer um some some positives from loyal takeaway is coke vegas seems to have taken a step forward for shot stopping uh which is one you know uh i think everyone in the usl pointed that out last year it was he was you know below average uh he comes up with some pretty key saves this could have easily been two nil three nil uh a thrashing right this was a team that sacramento beat four nil at the end of last season uh so one nil seems like a like a, a gift to loyal in this match a little bit, um, but it shows kind of that that Conway is still kind of a younger striker. Uh, he has a really good look that he just puts wide, um, and it just shows also how good Sacramento is at home. This is the fourth best team at home in in the Western Conference last year for a reason. Um, not huge surprises in this one. Um, you know, you sometimes just got to tip your cap to the home team who plays well and just defends and then takes you out of your game um, and, and takes advantage of the weaknesses on a set piece. Um, the bragging point is that Loyal has yet to give up a goal in the run of play, right? Take as a set piece goal. <laughs> I think that's like the fan perspective. Uh, I think one of the emails sent out was like, Loyal allows first goal, first loss. It's like, I think Sacramento had something to do with this. Uh, but this is one of those things where, you know, American fans who follow European soccer, they expect their team to go undefeated or like, right. yeah, like we want to go 32, one and one because we're going to be the man city of or arsenal of or fill in the blank here where like Bayern fires their coach because he loses a match. Right. Like it, this is one of those overreaction games, I think, for some loyal fans of, of doom and gloom. Uh, but you lose to Sacramento on the road. I mean, essentially, you're one point behind where you probably should be because uh, getting a win in Sacramento is tough. Getting a draw is where you want to be. So, really, you're only one point behind. And now they got to rally for next week against home opener against Phoenix, which is going to be another tough test. And Sacramento has reestablished themselves as a as a really tough team to go up there and play. Are you asking? Just to make sure I'm following this right. You're saying Nate Miller needs to be fired yesterday, right? Oh, absolutely. Not no, <laughs> I think he gets a little bit of, of gruff because of his post post conference where he's like, We played pretty well, and it's like people want to be like, No, nah, we played terribly, and it was a horrible match. It's like sometimes you play pretty well, things don't click, it's early season, you're only one point off of the teams ahead of you, and you lost a road game. Okay, if this becomes a pattern, then then there's a problem, right? If you're dropping points, mentality to monsters, I don't know. Yeah, it's 34 games. It's whatever. 
but tip of the cap to Sacramento. I think they show that they're very going to be very tough to beat if they get a lead. Sacramento, yeah. I mean, it, that's essentially it. Is like if you can if you concede first against Sacramento, it's like giving up like three goals. Um, it, it just feels like more like their goals count for more, especially when they open the scoring. They've got three goals this season and they are undefeated. Like that's that's like that sums up like they are just like very difficult to break down. Um, and yeah, they get to go off the set piece. This is like the open cup run blueprint, right? Like they get the goal off the set piece and then they absolutely shut down shop one shot on target on the whole night for loyal, which a good attacking team they've shown that they're a good attacking team. So yeah, the Sacramento team is just extremely hard to beat. And I think that going there and getting points is going to be a tough task for anyone. I mean, in their last 20 home games, including the last season and the playoff game, they've lost twice at home. And those were by score lines of one nil when Birmingham and Phoenix came into town. And it's just a tough place to kind of go and get, results and i know i think we'll talk about it later but i mean you have louisville coming to sacramento this week and then the game i think that we're all really going to have circled on our calendars is uh when they take a trip to san antonio on april 8th gross john any final thoughts on this one yeah just echoing the fact that sacramento really has it together um their new additions were really impressive to me. Just quick shout out to Sebastian Herrera at striker. I thought his hold up play was really good. And then Arnold Lopez, who has uh, moved Matt LaGrasa solidly to the bench with his play in the defensive midfield. So it was a good team last year and they've added wisely. Um, and outside of all that, Sacramento Republic's, uh, it is Kevin Nagel is going to purchase Huddersfield Town. Um, he was so inspired by the fact that Wrexham was coming to San Diego, he decided to buy his own European uh, football club. Um, this one only established in 1908, so it's basically the new boys on the block. Find yourself an older club, loser. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, they got their Mar- feeder team. They no got history. their feeder Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, no history with this one. In Absolutely. the press release, it was they're recognized as one of the most successful English clubs of all time. <laughs> they I are mean, one of the many clubs club. have three uh league titles. Hey, they are one of the English clubs of all time, and you cannot take that away from them. <laughs> one of the English clubs. The nickname <laughs> the Terriers. I'm hoping that Kevin Nagel can come in and change their nickname to the Dogs. <laughs> dogecoin sponsorship inbound oh see i want them to go full american and have them become the dogs like they just change them to bulldogs <laughs> i don't know the one thing that i that always stuck out to me about huddersfield town is that they get to boast that they have sir patrick stewart as a fan i mean i would flex that yeah get him Get him at uh, every Saint or Sacramento game, like Ryan Reynolds at Wrexham games. It's like you're Sir Patrick Stewart. What's well, uh, Professor X instead of Deadpool? <laughs> <laughs> they, you can get both sides of like random nerdy, you know, comic book people just fighting over which one's better. It's great. Picard. <laughs> Moving on to predictions, we look. I know people want to hear about the Charleston game because that one was a shocker of a 3-0, but we're going to talk about it a little bit with Tampa Bay versus Birmingham. It's all going to kind of loop 
together. Um, but we're going to start up in the land of the streakers. We are going to Detroit City. And we have Detroit City versus RGV, which this is a matchup that I think if you're a traditional USL fan, you're like, great, two teams that hate to score. Can't wait to watch this one. But this is an RGV team that is, I've said this a lot, is sneaky good. This is a sneaky good RGV team. They're going to make the playoffs. Don't be shocked by it. And this is a Detroit City team who has looked better than I think a lot of people thought they would, but definitely looked more. They, I mean, this last indie game was just dreadful to watch. The most exciting thing for Detroit City was the streaker. Um, I let's just go ahead and get into these predictions. I'm going to start off with Ryan. Yeah, um, I think last week they Detroit did well to keep it close with Indy 11, but uh, I'm actually going to take Detroit to win this one against RGV this week. I think just uh, find their footing again. They're playing at home, and I've actually locked uh, Detroit City to win. Alan? Uh, I believe that I'm pulling up my prediction because I forgot what I chose. I think I picked Detroit. I think I picked Detroit. Yeah, I (laughs) would... Yeah, I picked Detroit. Um, I, I think they're a quality side. Um, I think that playing in Detroit is going to give them an advantage. Um, RGV, uh, while they're a quality team, um, I think get it going and playing at Keyworth is going to be difficult for them, or at least a, a challenge for them. I think Detroit, that gives Detroit just the edge they need to pull this one out. I have locked Detroit as well. Um, surely we've doomed them to a loss now, um, but I think RGV on a small on a small pitch at Keyworth, um, compared to that gigantic expanse of open field down in Edinburgh, um, I think uh, I think they get squeezed a little bit, and um, yeah, I think it just plays into into Detroit's strengths. So I'm going with Detroit to win this one and locking it. Yeah, I mean, pretty similar reasoning for me. A lot of what RGV has done in attack has been founded upon Cristiano Francois having a renaissance with plenty of space out wide and I mean, ditto for Ricky Ruiz on the other wing. They're not going to have that. Detroit is very good defensively. I think they're going to come out firing and get a win here. Yeah, this is, you know, kind of talking about the massive pitch of Edinburgh. You know, after Monterey Bay went down a man, I and then everyone got a yellow card, everybody. Um, except for, I don't think McRoberts got one. Um, I do think he stayed free of that whole situation. But um, somebody was talking about how, it was like, we can't even tell that Monterey Bay's down a man. I'm like, it's because everybody looks down a man at Edinburgh. Both teams look like they're down a man. It is massive. You just don't understand how big it is until you watch a game there, and you're like, oh, yeah. It's huge. <laughs> the, it's the Dothraki Sea out there, you know, <laughs> grass for miles. Um, I'm also taking Detroit City here. In all reality, I think this is this is kind of a draw. Um, I do think with that, with there, we're, we might see a situation where RGV is dropping legitimately seven or eight people behind the ball and Detroit City kind of doing the same thing and both teams just kind of have a 
attacking two or three, just kind of trading blows, it could definitely get bogged down in that midfield, and that would not shock me in the slightest. Um, so I don't know, but I do think that Detroit City has the advantage here. They, if if it's nil nil, you can almost bet that they're going to get a second half goal because that's Detroit City. Um, so that's kind of how I feel that win. Uh, moving on, we have a team who can't win at home versus a team that refuses to win. We have the Miami FC versus Memphis 901. Yeah, uh, I think the struggles for Memphis are going to continue this week. So I've uh, picked Miami to um, get a win here. Uh, I locked Miami because I'm looking at ways of I'm a, a few points behind uh, Ryan and, and John, and they locked the two games that I was going to lock. Uh, and so I'm taking a chance on Miami. I think they uh, they have some some pretty uh, decent players in there, and I think that they could put together a win in their spacious and empty stadium because apparently people don't go to their games, I guess. It just feels very expansive. Um, but I think they have enough to continue to keep 901 down. Yeah, I, I picked Miami, but it's it's definitely more about 901, the state of 901, than about me being like thrilled about anything Miami's doing at the moment. They were really lucky to get a result against Pittsburgh. Um, they did not play well, so I'm hoping they bounce back. Um, but I just have seen more signs from Miami so far this season than Memphis, so I got to go with the Tide Pods. I mean, like, unless Reese Buckmaster and Leston Paul are back and they've suddenly found chemistry in the Stephen Glass system immediately, it's going to be a tough couple weeks for Memphis just to feel things out. So Miami's been a little bit hard done by not to have some better results already. They're going to get this win. Yeah, I mean, what makes this one hard for me is that Miami just outright refuses to win at home. And so it's the whole thing that Ryan said last year, a stoppable force meets a movable object. Neither team is going to look good. And this is bound to be the most miserable, like one, one or no, no draw we've ever seen. We have to accept that. But Kaylor, I lock them and that's, what's going to give them the motivation. They're like, they're going to do it for me. Uh, Okay. It's It's like the, the poster board material, but the opposite way. It's like the believe poster. Like I'm giving it's, them positive reinforcement. It's just going to be your face up there, and they're just going to be like, "He believes in you." It's Alan. <laughs> <laughs> but can you get can you get admin to like start like bullying you into not picking them <laughs> like Tulsa did, like Tulsa reverse did last year? <laughs> um. This is a this is just a weird match. Um, yeah, it, this one kind of is what it is. I think I, yeah, this one's going to I lean Miami, but I don't feel good about it. I think that Memphis's back line is just really bad, and I get it. They brought in this big name keeper, but does that really mean anything when your back line is made up of center forwards? who just are there i it's bad um moving on we said we we're going to talk about it a little bit and it's going to be tampa bay versus birmingham legion fc 
Yeah, it was um, in retrospect, uh, John definitely called it right with uh, the battery getting a good win against Tampa Bay last week. And it was a Tampa Bay team that you typically don't see them getting blown out in matches. You have to go back to May 2018 to find the last time they lost a game 3-0, which was to Penn FC at the time, a team that isn't even in the league at this point. Uh, on a side note, I am curious of the who currently has that social media account because I tagged them in a tweet and they haven't tweeted anything since 2018. But yeah, it just it seems like this is um, going to be like a really fascinating contest for both teams. And I think I just picked for just having the points to be shared at the end of the day. I went with a draw as well. Um, Tampa Bay probably doesn't need to be necessarily worried i think they were like as low as sixth place last year at some point in the season where they just didn't really get going until later in the season this is just what usl is right it's you can like hang out for 10 games be like eighth place and then all of a sudden i think louisville's done in the past tampa bay did it last year where you just go on a run and then all of a sudden you're at a home playoff game and you're fine um so i don't think there's necessarily anything to worry about right now for tampa bay um but I, I just think that um, maybe not firing on all cylinders uh, and Birmingham having enough in them to to give them a fight and and I I just went with a draw I couldn't I couldn't pick a a, a winner actually I lied I picked Birmingham because I wanted Kaylor to feel better <laughs> I thought I picked draw I read the wrong one I wrote Birmingham then draw so you're welcome Kaylor thank uh, you I, I went with Birmingham. I'm not gonna lock it because <laughs> I'm not crazy. Uh, that's a great choice yeah (laughs) (laughs) i so i went with tampa to bounce back which i went with tampa to bounce back last week and we all saw what happened um so who knows this could be total total uh you know bullcrap but the the bottom line is that charleston four as well as they played and i think they did do a good job of like limiting you know tampa bay only ends with two shots on target but I don't think Tampa Bay played bad. I think Charleston was like good in key moments. Um, Fidel Barajas, like talk about the real deal in terms of like a, a kid coming up through the league. Just want to give a shout out to him. Um, Nick Markanik as well uh, for coming over from Cincy. He's unreal. Yeah. Northern Northern Illinois University Huskies stand up. Um, DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, yeah. So anyways, I think uh I'm really pleased with what I saw from Charleston, but I think Tampa Bay bounces back. They've got, they've got, they've definitely got locker room material now um, coming off of that loss at Charleston. So I think Collins gets a, uh, gets a response out of him, even though he won't be on the sideline for this match because he got a red <laughs> against Charleston, as did Ben Pierman. Um, very Syria ah vibes uh, in, uh, in this one as both managers sent off. Anyways, I'm going Tampa Bay to bounce back against Legion. Sorry about it. Um, if it doesn't happen, it's probably because of Tyler Pasher. That's true. I want to cut you off, John, just real fast, because I have to ask the question. Was it you or Brandon that posted the picture of NIU's goalkeeper? This was Brandon. I responded to him. Hilarious. Oh, my God. If you just go over, I think it's um, League One Review is the one that he posted under. Just go look at the NIU goalkeeper. It's how, how he hasn't transferred. I don't know. It's what are they doing? <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> um, 
go ahead. Sorry, John. Yeah, no, you're all good. It is really hilarious. But um, I ended up going Birmingham here. I really think Tampa Bay is down bad so long as they don't have Lewis Hilton kind of holding things down in the midfield. Birmingham hasn't really shown the capability to punish you down the middle yet this season. Like, I think their strongest moments have been when they've got Pasher going on the wings. But if there's any day for Enzo Martinez to do the thing, it's this game. And I kind of see that playing out. So, Legion. Uh, you know, this is part of the reason I want to talk about the Sacramento, Sacramento, yikes, Charleston match is because Tampa Bay's been weird. Um, they've been playing a Zach Caravo, who is a sometimes a center back, most of the time a central midfielder as right back. Um, and they've been mostly playing a 4-4-2, which if you look at everything that they have ever been, Tampa Bay under Neil Collins is just not that. They don't do the 4-4-2, and they've looked pretty bad doing it. A lot of the chances that Charleston had came from a messy you know, moment in the midfield right on that edge of the defense of Tampa Bay's defensive third. And they don't have that extra center back to kind of come back and bail them out essentially. And it's been rough. It, it just feels like there's a massive disconnect from what is normally there in the midfield. And I do think it's Lewis Hilton. You know, it's hard to say one player can do it all, but when you lose Lewis Hilton and Leo Fernandez, I mean, those are two of the better ball distributors in the league, and that's been one of the biggest things that they've had issues with. Also did uh, stumble upon that every single goal that uh, Tampa Bay has conceded has been to their keeper, uh, Breno's right side. I Yes, two penalties and one deflection, but it's weird that five out of five have gone to his right side. Strange. Um, I refuse to pick draws. And I don't see this way in ending any other way than a draw, but Legion have a good run of form and Tampa Bay don't, but also I'm afraid that Tampa Bay is going to be the wounded animal and then like be really good, but I'm going with Legion. I don't feel good about it at all. (laughs) I just saw that graphic on the NIU goalkeeper who joined Madison. That's actually insane. 98th percentile for shots against and third percentile for goals against. That's insane. What you want to anyway. Anyways, it's unreal. <laughs> Man's in my man lives in a shooting gallery <laughs> in real life. That one just kind of showed up on the timeline. I'm like, what's happening with the Huskies? What are they doing? Um, and I believe the final, no, two more, uh, Sacramento versus Louisville. Will the Purples, the Purple People Eaters, what are they? What are they? What do they call themselves? I mean, they're not the Minnesota Vikings. No. The Fleur de Lise. I think that's, what are, yeah, that's Louisville fans. What are you? Um, <laughs> Sacramento versus Louisville. Louisville. Fans. <laughs> Fleur de Lis or Fleurs de Lee? Fleurs de Lee. <laughs> Should we get St. Louis fans to weigh in on this as well? <laughs> um, I picked uh, Sacramento to win this one. We spoke earlier on the show about how difficult they are to just kind of break down and just how good they are at home this year. And 
just interestingly, I just uh, Louisville last season they had two results where they had, or sorry, two occasions where they lost two consecutive games, and I think they uh, pick up another loss this week. Uh, I'm also going with Sacramento. I think that they're they're playing pretty well, especially at home. Uh, really tough to break down, really tough to beat. Um, and I think they sneak one out just like uh, they get a goal on something weird and fun, and then they end up uh, winning. Yeah, I think uh, – yeah, I think Sac- – I'm, I'm going Sacramento as well. I think it is down to their level of organization. And Louisville, like, had some – trouble creating chances they have a cross country trip ahead of them although they did obviously play quite well on the west coast uh to get two wins to start the season but yeah sacramento is a different animal and i think um louisville don't get over the hump in this one yeah i mean pending health you worry that maybe louisville comes back and just looks amazing but sacramento is in really good form they're a tough out no matter how healthy and good you look. So I went Republic here, just kind of riding the hot hand. You just don't pick against Sacramento at home. Uh, it, it, they really do get the league one treatment of if they're at home, they win. Sacramento is that team for me. Is They're at home, they won. That That's the rule, and I'm sticking with that one. Sacramento wins this match. Finally, Speaking of League One, we are going to the team, uh, two of this brand new teams, essentially not brand new, but North Carolina FC might as well be a brand new team. They got a little bit of a they got a little bit of a rest after their high flying offense refused to score a goal versus Lexington, who kind of got off the field and they you know looked pretty good at times, and then decide and then Don Smart decide to hey. I'm going to do all the first in club history and got a red card. Um, we're going to see North Carolina FC versus Lexington. Hashtag Lex ride. It should be like <laughs> ride. Get over yourself, Adman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you kind of take away that um, pretty clearly should have been called offside goal from Tormenta, um, I think North Carolina started out pretty well. But yeah, another game at home for them. And I'm going to take uh, NCFC to get this victory. Ditto, or sorry, as the cool kids are saying, retweet. <laughs> um, I I also went NCFC. Yeah, I think they've just got too much firepower for Lexington, and Lexington don't have that Darby energy to feed off of in this one, you know, as they say. So, yeah, I, I went with NCFC. I just don't know how deeply I trust Lexington at this point. And I think that with Alex Anderson coming back after some international duty, I thought he was great in week one. Everything that North Carolina has led me to pick them and make them my lock this week. I went Lexington. I I just really liked what I saw. And I, I understand that North Carolina really did play well against Tormenta. But I also just look at Lexington and... I just think there's a lot of potential there. And in all reality, this is another one of those where you say probably going to be a draw, but I, I I lean Lexington and it's not really for any statistical or any kind of analysis reason other than it just feels like it. It's a, it's a vibe. It is just the vibe I'm getting. They, I really believe in what Lexington's doing and what they're building squad wise. That said, I mean, 
North Carolina is going to be a wagon this year. They're going to be ridiculous. Um, let's see. Did anybody have a lock, by the way, that we did not predict? No. I, I know I did. I I locked Loudon. Um uh who are who are they even playing? I don't even remember. Um FC Tulsa. That's or no, Colorado yeah. Springs. Colorado Springs, sorry. That's the matches we'll review. Yeah, I, I locked Loudon. Colorado Springs is not good at all. <laughs> they, they, they maybe should have beat San Antonio. I mean San Antonio looks bad, but cool you jets. <laughs> I, I think there's I think there, my argument here is that there might not be a single bad team in the league this year, honestly. That's true. Outside I of maybe Memphis. Well, whenever we whenever I'm saying like teams are bad, it's all in it's all relative, right? Because none of them are none of them are Red Bulls from last year. Like that's they're just not, but I mean I just don't believe in anything that Colorado Springs is doing. Also, we're, we kind of talked about a little bit about international duty stuff. This is something I think uh, Alan and Ryan and I talked about. Waite started this match um, against FC Tulsa just uh, two days removed from starting for Jamaica um, in Mexico City. Um, I understand that goalkeeper isn't the most extensive, you know, or whatever you know, position, but also to go on flight from Pittsburgh to wherever Jamaica were training to Mexico city, assuming maybe that's the same place, play a match, do the mental fatigue of playing a match, having to recover from the match, which by the way, he got worked in that match because his backline was not doing him favors to immediately fly out to Tulsa and rejoin the team. That is nuts. I, I'm I'm not maybe wait wanted to start and maybe he has it. If this was later in the season, it's a different conversation. But there is a little bit of a conversation of maybe he should have Bob Lewis should have let him have a little bit of a rest. Garner was good in their last game too, so I I suspect it must have been wait just demanding to play. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I just shout out, shout out though to uh, to Pittsburgh and Bob Lilly for um, having Tulsa play 104 minutes in a regular season game um, just a few days before they play El Paso. So shout out to Bob and the crew uh, for for getting them as much minutes into those legs as possible. Long-time locomotive supporter, Bob Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> we, we always knew. We always knew deep down where his loyalties lie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is a dumb show. We never said we were good at it. We never said this was hey, a good show. This is serious journalism. Stop. <laughs> quit. <laughs> you quit that. <laughs> <laughs> Final thoughts on the night, Ryan. Um, yeah, just uh, that I really enjoyed watching your uh, live stream watch along for uh, Birmingham this past mm-hmm. weekend. That was pretty cool. And if anyone hasn't checked it out, definitely go to uh, Hammering Down's uh, YouTube page to check out those live streams from uh, the year. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. 
it was fun. I was getting a little bit worried every now and then because sometimes that, that stout hit me a little harder and I was like, I don't know what I'm playing <laughs> right now. <laughs> Nose got a little tingly and I was like, I should stop talking right now. <laughs> Alan? Uh, I had a nice surprise last night when I went to go watch the last episode of Perry Mason to get ready for like the new season and then realized I never watched the last episode. So it was quite a, like a nice surprise that I was like, I thought I was going to get a review, but I was like, oh, there's one there's one more. It, it was nice. I enjoy the very noirish, especially the music of it. It's like spot on Perry Mason. I know everyone's like Secession and whatever on Disney Plus and Ten Lasso, but I like the weird stuff. Fine. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Ted Lasso. Um, have you heard of Ted Lasso? Have you watched <laughs> this Wrexham documentary? <laughs> I uh, I was trying to recall if I talked about this last week, but I rewatched The Prestige uh, recently, and man, what that a is sick just, movie! Yeah, it is so great. So it is so good. It is it is up there with one of my favorite films. David Bowie as Nikola Tesla is absolutely revolutionary um anyways yeah that uh so that that was my like recent viewing experience that was just like transcendent because uh, i love that movie if you haven't seen it like do yourself a favor it is absolutely like one of those movies that just changes changes everything um and uh yeah a bunch of seriously loco stuff so if you're looking for more locomotive stuff look us up yeah um, I feel I feel like it's been a minute since I've just gone out and plugged back healed. So go subscribe to that. I'm still doing the thousands of words of breakdowns every single Monday. So I mean, if you like that, that's there. Also, I'm ranking teams and people are more interested in that than the words. Let's be real. Um, in terms of thing I've watched, I went and saw the movie 65 with Adam Driver. Basically, he goes off into space he crash lands on earth then it's 65 million years ago and he just fights dinos for six or, uh, yeah for about an hour and a half i wouldn't call it good but i would call it fun <laughs> <laughs> on a scale of zero to cocaine bear how <laughs> it's a cocaine bear <laughs> it's there was a time where me and my uh, cousin he would come over to my house and we would go on Netflix and specifically look up the lowest rated movies that we could find. <laughs> um, that was before they started making it. This is a movie that's matched for you, which honestly, after that became a change, made me feel really weird because they would start recommending other bad movies to us. Um, my favorite, I mean, my favorite one that came out of nowhere was Red versus Dead 2. I'd never seen the first one. Didn't know there's a first one. No clue. Watch the second one. And um, it's something. Dead Nazi zombies fighting against dead Soviet zombies. Why not? It's an awful movie, but you should watch it. <laughs> um, Alan, I think you were going to say something. I was going to say, like, I thought Phil was going to say from zero to Jesse Marsh's leads. Like, not very good, but real fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if if there was anything that the Premier League needed was just a little bit more Jesse Marsh. Actually, I'm sorry, Ryan. I know you're a Tottenham supporter. I get it. But I've won just to 
them Tottenham to keep Conte just a little bit longer because I just want more quotes. As someone who has, <laughs> as a person who has a is a fan of a team that has Roy Hodgson at the helm right now, I'm just looking for any entertainment value I can find right now. I'll have to share it within our group chat, and I think it was a few weeks ago, but someone did a graphic, a tier ranking of all the Premier League managers and who would be the most to least entertaining to go on a night out with. And like they said, like the most entertaining would be like Sean Dice, would be like an absolute legend by oh. rounds for everyone. And, and then at the bottom, it was like Roy Hodgson and David Moyes would fall asleep before the first pine even got to the table. <laughs> <laughs> you you say that, but Roy Hodgson will uh, will tell you the best beer on the menu. Like he knows he at won't Murray calendars. It. i will say that one graphic the two things that i would kind of object to was that they say grand potter would be a good conversationalist and he distracts me as someone being boring as hell and then they said pep guardiola would be a very boring person and i was like i think he'd be entertaining enough during the night and then at the waffle house at 3 a.m he's displaying a five at the back system using the butter and syrup packets (laughs) at the table I, you know what's funny? You mentioned Waffle House, but there is a vast majority of this, of this listening audience who has never been to Waffle House, and that's wild to me. That's I didn't realize how. And it shows. It does show. <laughs> <laughs> like, like people see fights on the pitch, and they're like, "I can't believe they would do this." Like, have you been to Waffle House past midnight? <laughs> this is the most sane thing I've seen in years. <laughs> Um, for me, um, I just started rewatching. Uh, so I'm I'm watching my aunt and uncle's uh, dogs. By the way, I'm not in my apartment yet. What um, is, that on, is, is that, that on Hulu? Or? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an awful movie. It's an awful show. Um, but I've been kind of bored here because the dogs don't really do anything. Um, and so I have restarted rewatching Community. And oh, I that's forgot, a great one! Great, I got how good it was. Genius. I, I, I just there's just so many just one liners in there that it'll just sit with me for a minute and then hit me and then it, oh, just good stuff. Um, and I feel like I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I'm still on the kick. Um, my hottest take that I've ever released, and I'm going to just say it again if I didn't say it here. Um, Listen, Total Eclipse of the Heart is the best power ballad of all time, and no one. Total Eclipse of the Heart is the best power ballad of all time, and no one can talk me off of that cliff. Go off. It's. That's been John what? said, "Jump! You're on that cliff. Jump!" <laughs> yeah, that take is street bad. Go off. Pretty bad. Are I don't know a better power ballad. Come on. I, I'm not challenging you. Yeah, right. I, it's it's also a good one because there's the, the the Dan Band version with the expletives in it that really take it to the next level. Like I would also I would also like mix in like if I was you know throwing one out there like a like a um, meatloaf I would do anything for love as like another one. another classic. But you can't go wrong with with a little total eclipse of the heart, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's good stuff to me. I mean. It, I mean, this is also just every now and then, well, I fall apart. Um, but I, I, I'll just be listening to it, walking down the radio, or just like going down 
the highway and there's just <laughs> there's just something about it there's just something about rolling down the window and just letting it go it's a good one um no one cares about that um listen we got kit season episode three dropping tomorrow we got some other stuff happening in the background i know we always say that we me i always say that but seriously big stuff i think next week we should be debuting um first ever sponsor so that's a little something that we're going to just float out there and we have a pretty cool partnership that's coming up that we're super excited about so super pumped about all that i cannot wait to see you know where this all goes and whatnot um van did not get re it's not a van not a van not a van pickup truck very different um yeah as soon as i get an apartment that is gone gone forever i am not recording in a an apartment parking lot i refuse i have standards believe it or not <laughs> so for the final time tonight because i've been keeping you all hostage for an hour and 21 minutes for the final time tonight here's alan's voice Thank you for watching another episode of the USL Show. This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week.